The leftists, pinkos, hippies, and freaks who make up the Democrat Electoral Coalition met last week and over the weekend at the Netroots Nation Conference to establish their strategy for 2020. Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, Liawatha Liz Warren, Comrade de Blasio all made their pitch to that wretched hive of scum and villainy. We have got the highlights. Spoiler alert, they hate you and want to control your lives. <laughs> then Kamala Harris's perverse view of her own country on This Is America, and we electrocute a criminal on this day in history. I'm Michael Knowles, and this is The Michael Knowles Show. A lot to get to, a lot to get to today. So uh, we, we have all the Netroots uh, net clips, and man, they're good. They're, the Democrats are really outdoing themselves lately, so all of this should make 2020 very exciting, very entertaining, and pave the way for President Trump's re-election. But we'll get to that. Before we get to that, let's make a little money, honey, because we're not socialists yet. We're capitalists still, and we still need to make some money. So let's talk about honey as it were. Let's talk about actual honey. Uh, chances are you've heard of it. You've probably heard of it because I've told you about it. Honey is the free shopping tool that finds the best promo codes wherever you shop online. And uh, if it sounds too good to be true, this is the one time that it isn't too good to be true. This is just a fabulous product. It's totally free. Uh, the question is, how much money can Honey really save me? Turns out Honey has already saved people over $800 million. That's almost enough to pay for like five minutes of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's social programs. But that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. I have been using it for years and years and years. Uh, you might also think Honey doesn't work at the sites I shop at. Truth is, Honey works on over 30,000 websites. Amazon, eBay, Walmart, Newegg, J.Crew, and more. Uh, it's always free and it just saves you money. It, it gets a small commission from these sites where it saves you money so it can save you money. I've been using it for years and years and years. I can't even tell you the last time I bought a product with it because I buy all of my products using Honey. It just automatically finds you the best deals. It is free money. Put it in your browser now. No reason not to try it. It is free. Installs in just two clicks. Go to joinhoney.com slash covfefe, C-O-V-F-E-F-E. Joinhoney.com slash covfefe, C-O-V-F-E-F-E. And, and save a lot of money like I have for years. Okay, we got to get to Netroots. So <laughs> if, if you're not familiar with it, I actually wasn't familiar with the name. I remember the event, but the Netroots Nation Conference started in 2006. If that number sounds familiar to you, it's because uh, that was the year that the Democrats made their huge lurch to the left. They, they decided they were going to double down. They were going to be the Democrat base of the Democrat party, and they were going to move far left. And it actually did help them in the short run. It did help them win some seats. So they're doubling down. They, they're going to be uh, trying to make that same move again. Netroots began uh, as the agenda-setting moment for the left and for the Democrat Party. It began, do you know that website Daily Coast? I don't think it's that big anymore, but it used to be very big even five, six years ago. The Daily Coast was this very far left site by Marcos Mulitsas. It was his blog. And so anyway, he and a bunch of other lefty angry bloggers got together and started the this First, it was a conference for Daily Coast. Then it became Netroots. Uh, Netroots is where you've seen some great moments at Net Netroots before, even if you don't know it. Do you remember that moment last year where Bernie Sanders was on stage talking about socialism? And then he got out lefted because Black Lives Matter came on stage and took his microphone. And he's like, well, oh, you can stay there. You can, you, that's fine. That's okay. And it, it zoomed in on him with the like, uh, 
with the Curb Your Enthusiasm music, you know, bum, 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 ba-da-da-da-da-da, and they stole his microphone. They did the same thing to Martin O'Malley, actually. Uh, nobody even remembers Martin O'Malley. He was the, the generic, bland, uh, guitar-playing guy who never had a chance at winning the Democrat nomination in 2016. So Martin O'Malley was giving a speech at Netroots, and Black Lives Matter did the same thing to him. They took his microphone. Um, it, it, all, it always is fun because it's really their crazies. You know, it, it's, it, you really can't compare the crazies on the right and the left. Everybody's got our crazies. But like the, the crazies on the right, you, with a few exceptions, the crazies on the right just like really like the Constitution. Those are, that's, those are our most eccentric people. With, again, with a few exceptions. But the, the kind of majority of the eccentric, fringy people on the right, they're just like, yeah, I really like freedom. I know that you like freedom. I really like freedom. The ones on the left are screaming. I mean, they're like shrieking, shutting people down, coming on stage, threatening people. That's what you get at Netroots. So at Netroots, we got, we got everyone to trot through here. All of the 2020 presidential contenders walked through. We got Cory Booker, uh, Kamala Harris, Comrade de Blasio, Liz Warren, a bunch of other people. Um, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez came out. And of course she did. You know, she's the new darling of the Democrats. They try to say, by the way, when we knock Ocasio-Cortez for not knowing anything and for being proudly ignorant, she, they say, well, she's just, she's just a candidate somewhere in Queens. She's not the head of the party. They're making her the head of the party. They're turning her into a superstar. That's why she's fair game for us all to, uh, to attack. So they're, they're doubling down. They think it's 2006. They're going to run in 2018 and in 2020 as though it's 2006. Hard left, they think they're going to double down on their base. That's going to motivate them to go out to the polls. I hope they do this. I, I know they don't watch my show, so I'm not worried about letting the cat out of the bag. The secret is that 2018 is not 2006. It is so not 2006. 2006, you know, there was a lot of anger over the Iraq war. That was really the motivating factor on the left. Uh, there was a, a lot of distaste for George Bush, but mostly for that reason. In 2018, we have v- peace abroad. We've got a booming economy. We've got a terrific economy coming out. Uh, you know, how did the left turn their 2006 victory into a 2008 victory? It's because there was this devastated, uh, devastating economic crash. Now we don't have that. We have record high employment, record low unemployment. We've got a great econ- economy has never done better. Uh, the IMF credits President Trump's policies for that. Everybody's gotten a tax break. Virtually everybody, some wealthy people in blue states haven't quite gotten a tax break, but everyone else, everyone who would vote for Republicans, everyone that the Democrats want to put in their so-called coalition of the ascendant uh, has done very well in this economy. And, uh, um, you know, what they do, their, their entire strategy is to divide people along racial lines, along ever more precise racial gender lines. Uh, the numbers don't look good in that direction. President Trump's support among black voters is now at 29%. Now, that doesn't sound very high. That sounds pretty low. It should, it should be higher. Hopefully, it will be higher by the end of this term and certainly by the end of the second term and third term, fourth term. You know, it'll keep, it'll keep increasing. Um, but th- his support just a year ago was at 15%. That support has basically doubled in one year among black voters. And the Democrats are running scared. They're terrified by this, so they're trying to uh, they're trying to demagogue on race issues, on class issues, on all of this. Uh, have, having set up all of that, uh, the, uh, having set up what seems to be the Democrats' unsuccessful setup for 2018, let's delve into the craziness and enjoy their, their spectacular failure. Take it away, Liawatha. According to Trump, the problem is other working people. People who are black or brown, people who were born somewhere else, 
people who don't worship the same, dress the same, or talk the same as Trump and his buddies. Before getting into all of that, when she says don't worship the same, does she mean they're not lapsed Presbyterians? What do you mean by doesn't worship the same? She's, you know, they're, what they're trying to do is run up against this stereotypical religious right, hard ideological conservative, and they keep failing at that because Donald Trump isn't those things. He, he regularly misspeaks when he's trying to discuss Christianity. He's not fluent in the language of Christianity because he's not a figure of the religious right. If someone asked him if he'd ask God for forgiveness, he said, I try not to make any mistakes. <laughs> That's why I don't have to ask for forgiveness. Then she says, you know, he's trying to divide working people against this and that and this and that. He represents those people. He represents the people that Elizabeth Warren wants to represent, but she can't. She is a liar, first of all. She lie. I, we make jokes about this because she's Liawatha. She's chief spreading bull, uh, but she, this is really offensive to a lot of people. She is the whitest woman <laughs> that has ever walked the earth, and she lied about being a racial minority to get preferential treatment in employment. She one, if regardless, because those policies are on the books, she could have taken a job away from an actual Native American, and she lied. She, she's just a fraud through and through. But also, she's this effete Harvard professor, this true elitist who looks like one and speaks like one, uh, to use her identity politics. And Donald Trump doesn't. He doesn't talk like one of those people. He doesn't talk like an elitist. He talks to people in the way that people talk on the street. He talks to people like the way that New Yorkers talk. That is much more compelling. That's much more attractive. I'll let Liz Warren keep going. And it comes in all sorts of flavors. Racism, sexism, homophobia, xenophobia. It comes in all sorts of forms. Nasty personal attacks, trolling on Twitter, winking at white supremacists. And it all adds up to the same thing, the politics of division. Politics that tries to pit black working people against white working people so they won't band together. Politics of division that tells Americans to distrust each other, to fear each other, to hate each other. You see, the politics of division by Donald Trump, they, they keep uh, white working people and black working people apart so they don't join up and kill the rich whitey. <laughs> That's what she's saying. It's un I don't, does she hear herself when she's talking? The left is always projecting and hear more than ever. She's, she's talking about dividing people along all of these lines and all of the language that she uses to, divide, uh, to, to describe this divides people along precisely those lines. She is dividing people against uh, along lines of race. Not the Republicans, not Donald Trump, not Mike Pence, not Paul Ryan. No, they're not. She is. She's dividing people along lines of, of uh, wealth and class. Not Donald Trump, not the Republican Party. She's dividing people along all of these lines. To, to, the, the way that they uh, rattle off that phrase, racist, sexist, xenophobic, homophobic, Islamophobic, Phobic phobic, liawathophobic. I'm a liawathophobic. I, I certainly would fear her if she were in the White House. The, the way they rattle it off, like it, they've been practicing it in their sleep, like they say it in their sleep. They're talking about the boogeyman that doesn't exist. We, we uh, have the lowest amount of uh, overt racism in the history of the United States, possibly in the history of the world, anywhere else in the world. I, I, I don't know 
if you've traveled much, but the rest of the world is not as enlightened on, on racial matters and ethnic matters and cultural matters as the United States is. We're doing better than anyone else in the history of the world. And, uh, uh, but Liz Warren, they just repeat this, this boogeyman that they need to, uh, that they, that they need to have. And by the way, forget even just the question of this, this kind of bigotry or that kind of bigotry. They are the ones that are, uh, promoting anti-black bigotry, vicious, physically intimidating anti-black bigotry against a friend of mine, Candace Owens. But we will get to that in one second. Before we do that, we've got to talk about movement. Oh, you've probably seen, uh, you've seen my watch that I wear all the time. I kid you not. I get, so mo- you know movement, MVMT, movement watches. Those two college dropouts, they've been selling now 2 million watches in 160 plus countries. They have revolutionized fashion on the belief that style shouldn't break the bank. If you were to buy a watch like this in a department store, and I have, it would be $300 for, it could be $500. Uh, movement watches start at just 95 bucks uh, because they figured out by selling online, they can cut out the middleman and retail markup provide the best possible price. Classic design, quality construction, styled minimalism. I kid you not, I get a compliment on this watch almost every day. I, my bank teller compliments me on it. The bartender compliments me on it. When I go to a party, people do all the time. It's, they've just figured out style. It's got this kind of retro vibe, but it's very modern. It's a really high quality watch. I've had some watches where I have to take them out of my bedroom because they tick too loudly and they keep me up at night. This does not at all. This is just a really sleek, high quality timepiece. Uh, this one is the Revolver Collection. That's my favorite. Uh, you need to go buy these watches, by the way, so that they can send me more freebies because I, I mean, I, I'm buying these watches myself for uh, friends and family. They're just really, really cool. I can't even, they won't give me enough freebies to do it. And they're just, uh, they're just, as far as the watches go on the market right now, you can't not beat it. Get 15% off today and don't say I never did nothing for you. Free shipping and free returns. Go to movement.com slash covfefe, mvmt.com slash covfefe, C-O-V-F-E-F-E. See why movement keeps growing. Check out their expanding collection. Go to mvmt.com slash covfefe, C-O-V-F-E-F-E. Join the movement and, and get, get this cool revolver watch. This is their cool, they, got, they have a, a couple other cool collections that have just come out too, but this is like, this is like my favorite watch. Okay, we've got to get back to Liz Warren. So, you know, they're, they're talking about their, uh, all of that racial bigotry that the right is spewing against the, the left, against black people. They're anti-black bigots, aren't they? Uh, let's cut to a video of my friend Candace Owens walking around with Charlie Kirk of TPUSA. You've got the Antifa group, uh, the anti-fascists, and to translate that for you, uh, anti-fascist in left-wing language means fascist. Uh, So you've got these people just screaming in her face for uh, supporting Republican politicians. Here they are. Did you hear that? Like shrieking from hell? Just like these demons, these just screaming in her face. For those of you who couldn't see the video, they're yelling F white supremacy. At Candace Owens, a black woman, they are all white people. They're all white women. White women with like crazy blue hair and probably deep seated 
emotional problems stemming from their families. <laughs> I don't know. They're a lot, they got a lot of issues going on, clearly. If you get up to someone's face and start screaming at them in public, you've got some issues. But it's all these white girls going up with loud whistles, uh, with megaphones right into Candace's ears and shrieking, F white supremacy. That, that is white supremacy. That they are, they are the white supremacists. They are the white people who are drowning out physically intimidating Candace Owens because of her beliefs for thinking what she wants to think. Because you're not supposed to. They say, no, if you're black, you're not allowed to. You're not allowed to think that. Listen to us. We're white women. We're allowed to tell you, black woman, what to think. That's what they're saying. I mean, it is, it is really, it's easy to make fun of it. And Candace has thick skin. She's a tough girl and she can handle herself very well, obviously. But it, this is really deeply offensive and horrifying. (laughs) These white girls shrieking in her face. How dare you? How dare you hold a position that I don't give you permission to hold? That's what they're saying to Candace Owens. Really crazy. That's the left though. That is what uh, they're doing to her. The left is always projecting onto other people their own uh, biases, their own sins. They're saying F white supremacy. You're the white supremacist. You're the what's You're the one who's telling people how they have to think, how they have to behave. And if they don't get in line, you're going to physically intimidate them. You're going to scream in their face, try to blow out their eardrum. Uh, so I don't want to let Liz Warren totally get away, though. I mean, those were the highlights from her speech. I don't want to let her totally get away, though. Uh, there was another, another woman who comes up to the podium. And uh, I think this was a dig at Liz Warren. You, you judge for yourself. Netroots Nation, please welcome from the great state of New Mexico, Deb Holland. Hello, Netroots Nation. My name is Deb Holland. I'm the Democratic nominee for New Mexico's first congressional district. If elected, if elected, I'll be the first Native American woman in Congress. <laughs> Did you catch that? <laughs> Did anybody catch that? Are you, you're sure you're not the second, Deb? You sure? You think that lady was whiter than Casper the ghost over there? You don't think she's the first Native American in Congress? You don't know? Maybe not. No, I guess it would be Deb. Uh, so I, re- I really like that. I think it is a dig at Liz Warren because it is offensive to people who... <laughs> <laughs> who, you know, don't lie about where they come from. Um, but th- this is the kind of thing, right? This is what you get at the Netroots conference. This is what the Democrats are setting up for 2020. Their platform is going to be all identity, all identity politics, not thoughts, not ideas, not even public policy, all identity. Listen to me because I'm a Native American woman. Listen to me in the case of Liz Warren, because I'm a fake Native American woman. <laughs> Listen to me because I'm a black Muslim lesbian uh, Martian from Venus. I don't know how, how, how's that possible? I don't know how that's possible. An illegal alien, you might say. Uh, the, the, another serious contender showed up, uh, Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris from my own state of California. Uh, what was most interesting about her speech though, cause she, she touched on all the same points, but she played it safe. And I, I'm, I wonder what that shows. Here is Kamala Harris spouting inane platitudes. As I look around this room, I see the best of what America is really about. And I see the best of what America can be, unburdened by what we have been. And I see in this room, and all that is represented in this room, the power of the people. And these past 18 months have demonstrated that the people in power 
are no match for the power of the people. <laughs> wow, how brave. <laughs> Where, when did you write that? Just utter platitudes. And I am here to tell you that the sky is blue, not red. It's not red, it's blue, the sky. I am here, be, I am so proud to be here because the sun is bright, not dark. It's not dark, it's, it's bright. Oh, oh, do I clap? I don't know. She said it in such an emphatic way. There's a character, a congresswoman character on 30 Rock. I don't know if you've seen this. I forget her name. And she kind of like maybe the fifth season or something. And she comes in and she just starts talking and saying things that are just either inane platitudes or nonsense. But because she says them emphatically, everyone gives her a standing ovation. That was Kamala Harris at this Netroots conference. And a part of that is she's considered a favorite going into this election. We don't really know anything about her. She's relatively new to the Senate. She doesn't have much of a record. We know she's a lefty. But uh, a lot of the commentary about her has focused on all of these aspects of identity politics. She herself has totally embraced identity politics. She has run on them. She's, I'm a black woman. That's why you've got to support me. That's why I'll be good. And so I think perhaps Kamala Harris thinks she's going into 2020 with this great advantage. The Democrats are embracing identity politics. That is what they're running on. She has the most identity politics, not only black, but a woman, not only, you know, not only woman, but uh, from California. I don't know. She's all of the, you know, not only that, but she's young and she's this and that, right? She checks all of these boxes. And so she thinks, all right, I can play it safe because this is mine right now. I'm in the lead right now. And I don't know, uh, given her electoral coalition, that very well might be the case. She, she clearly has an advantage over Cory Booker because Cory Booker is a man. Kamala Harris is a woman. So she, she played it relatively safe, um, but she's, she's still got her hits in. I mean, she still had her cred. Here is Kamala Harris going on. Let's speak truth. That if it wasn't clear before Charlottesville... It is clear now, racism is real in this country and we need to deal with that. Let's speak truth. Sexism is real in this country, let's deal with it. Let's speak truth. Anti-Semitism, homophobia, transphobia are real in this country, let's deal with it. So she had to get those lines in. You, you heard Liz Warren do it too. They all have to go and they say America's awful, it has racist, sexist, xenophobic, Islamophobic. I love, by the way, that they uh, equate Islamophobia with uh, racism, with, with uh, hatred of people for their skin. Your skin is something you can't change unless you're a pedophilic pop star. You can't change the color of your skin unless you have a lot of money and a, an amusement park in your house in California. But your, your views, you can change. Views are up for criticism. It's very mean to criticize someone for the way they look, for any, any aspect of the way they look. It's just crude and rude and not very civilized. But to criticize someone for holding bad ideas is perfectly legitimate. In fact, that's what we are called to do in society, in civil society, in a civilization where we are, where we discuss things and where we have a democratic republic. That's what we're called to do. Religion is just a bag of ideas. It's just a bunch of ideas. And uh, to, to equate those two is a real sleight of hand. The left always does this, but she's doing it too. So she gets all of her hits in. Uh, okay, she she comes out of this thing looking fine. She doesn't look too wacky. She didn't, you know, she didn't Ocasio Cortez herself. <laughs> she didn't make some bizarre gaffe or she like crazy gesticulations and spouting things that are just like orders of magnitude from being from being true. Um, the biggest disappointment was Cory Booker. The biggest disappointment, probably to himself, certainly to Democrats, is Cory Booker. Here is Cory 
giving, giving it his level best. We say an oath that we are a nation of liberty and justice for all, but that's just words. It's a civic faith, but I'm one of these people that says, before you tell me about your religion, first show it to me and how you treat other people. Well, how are we living our civic gospel? How are we living our civic gospel that demands for us to reject the normalcy of injustice, the normalcy of apathy, the normalcy of indifference, and rise to the higher ground of activism, of engagement, of love? And that's the last person I want to end with. His name is Hassan Washington. I'm a big believer that if America, if this country hasn't broken your heart, then you don't love her enough. Because there's things that are savagely wrong in this country. There's a normalcy of injustice that we've accepted. And I tell you, Newark has gifted me a wisdom that can only come from wounds, a sense of purpose that can only come from shared pain. It's a city that at times where my heart has been broken, but I've learned that the heart is this interesting organ that can, it's the only one that really works even if it's gotten broken. <laughs> uh, get that man, whatever the opposite of an Oscar is, get that for Corey. I've sat in on a lot of auditions over time, New York, LA, college, you know, even before that. And I don't know that I have, ever, and I've seen a lot of bad performances. I've seen a lot of truly horrific plays, movies. I have never seen anything as unconvincing as Cory Booker trying to be emotional. I have never seen, it just doesn't, I'm not trying to be mean to Cory Booker. It just doesn't pass the smell test. It doesn't look real. I don't think anybody in that room thought that he was genuine. It's so disingenuous. It's so, he's not, he's just not good at performing emotion. Look, Cory Booker is a very smart guy. He is very intelligent. He has a lot to offer his party. Uh, I don't know about if he's got a lot to offer the country, but he's got a lot to offer his party at least. But he's playing wrong. You can't, I'll give a little, a little more uh, advice from, you know, Stanislavski and Sanford Meisner and, you know, great, great uh, acting directors and theorists and, and coaches. You, you can't push. You don't want to push against what is coming sort of naturally to you and what comes organically. Corey is all pushing right now because he's not, he's this guy from New Jersey who was cozy with Wall Street and has zillionaire donors and, you know, defended Mitt Romney in 2012. That's who Cory Booker actually is. He's now running left of Lenin because he thinks that that's going to work. He thinks that's going to get him the nomination. It's not because you have to be authentic. The lesson of 2016 should have been that. You have to be authentic. When you're not authentic, you get blown off the stage by somebody who is uh, really, really uh, sad. He's savagely wrong. It's savagely tears of rage. Said uh, No. Also, just a usage note, please. He said that Newark gifted him with something. That's not a word. The verb to gift is not, I know, it's been in use, it has been in use at various times for three or four hundred years to gift some, I gifted this to you. It's not proper. There's a wonderful word which is give. I give you this and now you have a gift from me. I've got a gift because I gave it to you. I'll give it to you. Gifted, I gifted this to him. It's just like nails on a chalkboard. Corey, come on. You went to Yale Law School. Learn how to use language better. Let's get those tears out of here. Okay, so <laughs> the main uh, the main takeaway, this is all, the Democrats are running very far left. I don't want to harp on this too much, but they, all of the candidates here, 
advocated Medicare for all, open borders, and abolishing law enforcement agencies. Every single one of them. A Medicare for all, I didn't think this was going to work for them. I saw this percolating in the fringes a couple years ago, a few years ago now. Uh, they say Medicare for all, and that to me seems like such a sad sales pitch. When I think of Medicare, I think of old people who can't take care of themselves, who are at the mercy of the government, who are at the mercy of the state, who are just frail and weak and have no control over their own destinies. Why would we all want that? Why would we? You should. You too can be like an 85-year-old. I don't want to be like an 85-year-old. I'll be like one when I'm 85. I don't want to be like one now when I'm 28. Uh, Still, they've all embraced it. They've all embraced socialist health care, all the rest. These are not popular issues. They're not popular. You saw what happened with Obamacare. It destroyed the Obama presidency because he pushed that through. People hated that policy. They hate open borders. The majority of Democrats uh, despise open borders, and they don't want to prioritize any immigration legislation, including any amnesty uh, legislation, including for the dreamers. The majority of Democrats don't want legislation legalizing even dreamers. That is a crazy statistic. Uh, abolishing law enforcement? Who wants that? Nobody wants that. Um, so, okay, that's fine. Keep it up. Do it, please. I hope this is your platform. Give it to me. Uh, all of these candidates, by the way, are deeply flawed in a way that Trump is not. All of these candidates are far left and uh, they're running as ideologues, far left ideologues. Trump never did that. Trump never did that. They've tried to make him into that on the left, but he isn't that. He's totally heterodox. He's not ideological at all. He actually boasted about that in the campaign. He said, oh, I like this. I don't like this. I'm going to do this. I'm not a religious conservative. I'm this. I do, 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 do. He just, he's his own character. He's authentic. And there's a moderation that comes out of that. People are more comfortable. They're, this is why people are more comfortable with Donald Trump than Mike Pence. You would think people would be more comfortable with Mike Pence, stable, steady, good, conservative politician, but he believes too many things. They say, oh, he's, he really takes this belief seriously. Trump, I feel like we can negotiate with him. Uh, th- these candidates are, they're running into a brick wall right now, but keep it up. I hope, I hope they do. Uh, do I have to say goodbye? No, I'll get one more bit in, then we'll say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. So the, the main takeaway from Netroots is the left doesn't like you, as you're all vicious bigots. And uh, the left needs to control every aspect of your lives, your health care, they're going to take away your ability to decide who comes in and out of the country. They're going to take away your money so that they can pay for all of their crazy social programs. They really don't like you. Uh, uh, Angela Rye, CNN commentator, typified this, did this very well on Fredo Cuomo's show the other day. Well, well, he just sat there. Uh, just, Just take a listen to this essentially not have any border First of all, let, let's, be the, uh, let's be very clear. Let's be very clear. I can't wait to search no, your answer, genealogy uh, and see if you have any <laughs> illegal immigration in your family child. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. You've never once asked me if I'm for open borders. You've never once asked me but that. That's, and at least I have clearly, the decency not clearly, to continue to repeat clear, myself Clearly you don't want to enforce our, clearly you don't want to enforce the, the border laws because that's why I've said that. Uh, no, I what I don't want to enforce is your president's nonsense. That's what I don't want to... Come on, man. You guys know that this policy is ass backwards. Plain and simple. You guys know this policy is inhumane. Plain and simple. Like, if you just take yourselves out of it for just a moment, take off the lenses of bigotry for just a moment, and imagine okay, so if now, this was now happening, we're get, now we're happening to kids. Now we're getting into the name-calling? Yes, we are. I'm calling this okay. for this. That, you know, what's great in amidst all of this, too, you probably, if you were listening, you wouldn't be able to tell, Chris Cuomo is there. The Fredo of the Cuomo family is sitting there just, just like this, just, just stri- wide-eyed, just sitting there, silent, staring like a mook, 
Just just doing nothing. And he gets paid. I might have gotten paid a little bit to, to not write a book, but this guy gets paid a lot more money to not host a TV show. <laughs> it's just they're letting her accuse uh, her, his other guest of being a bigot, of being a racist out of nowhere. They made no, uh, they made she made no argument whatsoever, right? She didn't demonstrate anything through logic. She just said, you're a bigot, you're prejudiced, wah, wah, wah. You have bad intentions. I hate your guts and you're terrible for the country. Really awful stuff. I've got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube, but we'll explain this like profound racism on the left as it comes up through Sarah Jiang in the New York Times and, and Candace Owens. Uh, plus we've got, we've got to electrocute some people in chairs on this day in history. We've got to show Kamala Harris and her uh, racist view of America on this is, we've got a lot to come, come back to. So let's hurry up and do it. Go to dailywire.com, please. If you're already there, thank you very much. You help keep the lights on. You keep Kofefe in my cup. If you're not go, it's 10 bucks a month, $100 for an annual membership. You get me, you get the Andrew Clavin show, you get the Ben Shapiro show, you get to ask questions in the mailbag, you get to ask questions in the conversation. I think I'm up next. None of that matters because you get the Cory Booker vessel. You get the leftist tears tumbler, the leftist tears of rage, tears of rage. Because if you don't have this tumbler, you're going to think that something is savagely wrong while you're drowning in leftist tears. Go to dailywire.com. We'll be right back. Savagely wrong. That's just savagely wrong to make fun of Cory Booker. You remember Sarah Jong. Sarah Jong is that tech reporter who sent out all of these tweets about how much she hates white people, especially white men, and wants them to be eradicated from the earth. She actually said that. She said, I, I'm so happy that white people aren't breeding so that they'll go extinct. Uh, she said, we need to cancel white people. She said, white people shouldn't speak. They should be censored. She just doesn't like them. I'd say they were jokes, but they don't they were just, first of all, they didn't have a punchline. And it just seems to me that over the years, she's kept this up and clearly just hates white people. So they, they pointed this out to the New York Times. New York Times stands by her on the editorial board. Now a video has surfaced at uh, Sarah John from Harvard Law School, where she attended college or where she attended law school. Uh, here she is. Everything is implicitly organized around um, how men see the world, and, and not just men, how white men see the world. Um, and this is, this is a problem. This is why so many things suck. That's why white men, that's why so many things suck. To quote Sarah Jong, New York Times editorial board. All the news that's fit to print. The, the gray lady. The gray, at least, it, good thing the gray lady's not a white lady, otherwise Sarah Jong would <laughs> unleash some venom against her too. This is the left-wing view of the world at this point, which is that uh, white men are the, are the cause of every problem in the world and everyone needs to band together through intersectionality to take them down and to undo the patriarchy and all of the other terms they use for social hierarchies. Now, any reasonable person listening to this would say, wow, she's a vile racist. She's at least saying vile racist things. But the left answers and says, no, no, that's not racist because she's not white. You can only be racist if you're white because it's about power. And only white people have power. Nobody else has power. Vox.com, Zach Beauchamp writing for Vox.com, which is whenever I want to learn, whenever I want to know less than I currently know, I go to Vox.com and then it just sucks knowledge out of me. Uh, Vox.com, he wrote, 
to anyone who's even passingly familiar with the way the social justice left talks. This is just clearly untrue. White people is a shorthand in these communities, one that's used to capture the way that many whites still act in clueless or racist ways. It's typically satirical or hyperbolic to emphasize how white people continue to benefit from their skin color uh, or to point out ways in which a power structure that favors white people continues to exist. What What he's saying is, yeah, the left uses white, they hate white people. That's right. They don't like white people. And what makes it different, he writes, what makes it different from actual racism is yes, the underlying power structure in American society. It's okay to say vicious things about whites because, uh, the whites have all the power, but let's analyze that. Is that true? Sarah Jong is Asian. Uh, Asian Americans have higher average household income than whites. They have a higher average household income than any other group. Uh, Asian Americans disproportionately are accepted to top universities in the country, such as Harvard Law School, such as the place from which Sarah Jung was making that statement. By objective measures, Asians have much more power and privilege in the United States. Now, I, I reject the, these racial categories per se, because I don't think they tell you that much. They do tell you some things. They're sort of interesting demographically and from matters of electoral politics, but they, they don't tell you very much about power. They don't tell you very much about politics because they don't uh, tell you about ideas. They don't tell you about laws. There are no, uh, there's no du jour racism in the United States, right? There's no structural racism saying, okay, only Asian people can do this. Only white people can do this. Absolutely not. There is, I suppose there is one law, which is affirmative action that says that certain people uh, get a, a benefit in university admission and other people do not. Uh, but it, the, the point she's trying to make that whites have all the power in America cl- clearly isn't true. She's a living example of it. She's on the editorial board of the New York Times. It's a powerful position, or it used to be at least. I don't know if it still is. And the left is excusing this. Washington Post excused her, her vile remarks and said, is it okay to make fun of white people online? Make fun of, in, lef- in Washington Post language, by the way, means call for the eradication of. <laughs> they're, they're excusing it. They, they, uh, they, they don't like the country. They don't like the history of the country. They all talk about this. They say, we are going to move forward, not be burdened by our past. You know, this is, uh, th- this is the symbol of their, of their regulatory uh, efforts in 2018 and 2020 is the plastic straws. That's the symbol. The plastic straws, they need, they, they are so riled up about how awful this country is that they are going to go in and regulate everybody's life. It's the plastic straws. Actually, the guy, the, the Santa Barbara councilman who pushed for the plastic straw ban, who pushed to make plastic straws illegal, he said, quote, unfortunately, common sense is just not common. We have to regulate every aspect of people's lives. Every aspect. That's what he said. He's the guy behind the straw ban. That's how they see the country going into 2020, going into the midterms more power to them. That I don't know that that's a winning message. We hate you. We hate everyone in the country. We, you're all vicious bigots and we want to control your lives. And we're going to focus on the least popular public policies that uh, public polling shows us. That's what they are pushing for. More power to them. I hope, I hope they do it. Keep going, guys. Uh, we've got to get to This is America. On This is America, variations on a theme, uh, a startling number of Americans don't know anything about America. They don't know anything about America. Kamala Harris actually typifies this. She tweeted out, quote, we won't be silent about race. We won't be silent about sexual orientation. We won't be silent about immigrant rights. These are the very issues that define our identity as Americans. They're not. Those are not the issues that define our identity as Americans. As a matter of fact, that's what the left pretends defines our uh, identity as Americans. Race, class, sex. That's what they pretend does. But it, it doesn't. 
What defines our identity as Americans is our dignity given by God and the rights conferred by our creator. Rights to life, liberty, and property, which come from the natural law, which come from the natural lawgiver. It comes from freedom, baby. F-R-E-E-D-O-M. It comes from freedom and having the responsibility to deal in freedom and to govern ourselves. That's what it comes from. It doesn't come from the color of your skin. But a lot of people think that. According to a new study from the Freedom Forum Institute, on, on just the First Amendment, just the First Amendment, 40% of uh, uh, respondents couldn't name any part of the First Amendment. They couldn't name any of the rights outlined in the First Amendment. And just one out of 1,000 respondents could name all of the rights in the First Amendment. Right to uh, speech, freedom of religion, freedom of press, freedom of assembly, and freedom to lobby, freedom to petition your government. Only one out of 1,000 could name all of those all of those rights. Uh, there are other studies that come out that show that students, well, there was one from ISI that showed students at some universities knew less about civics when they graduated than when they went in. They somehow learned, they unlearned civics and their time in there. A, a startling number of people, uh, 90% of respondents to one national survey, couldn't identify the system of checks and balances in the government. A, a huge percentage couldn't identify the purpose of the Bill of Rights. Huge percentage, something like 70% couldn't identify the, the purpose of the Bill of Rights. This is really scary. It's because we have no civics education in the country. Uh, at, at any level, it's been replaced by ideological studies. Like uh, you, now in high schools, you'll read Howard Zinn. There are no civics classes, but you'll read A People's History of the United States, excrepal leftist propaganda. Uh, there's no civics education, and, and freedom is only one generation away from extinction, as Ronald Reagan said. If you don't understand your government, the systems of your government, then you're going to lose them. People don't even know about the Bill of Rights, but they certainly don't know about the system uh, that built our government. You know, any tin pot dictator can have a Bill of Rights, but we have a federal system of checks and balances which the left is willing to undermine. They don't understand the purpose of the country. And if you don't understand the purpose of the country long enough, you lose it. Uh, before we go, I've got to get to this day in history. This day in history is a very important one because in 1890, on this day in history, the first criminal was uh, sentenced to, or was executed by the electric chair. This is a little grim, but you know, people have been talking about the death penalty a lot lately. The current vicar of Christ on earth, Pope Francis, has been talking about that. So I think it sheds some light on this, this debate. Conservatives are asking now, in light of the Pope's comments, what, can we support the death penalty? Conservatives even deba have de debated this before. They say, do we want to give the state the power to kill people? Is it right for the state to kill criminals? Is that Catholics have debated this? Uh, Pope Benedict said, uh, I think 20 years ago, that Catholics could have a legitimate difference of opinion on the death penalty. Uh, what do we think about it? It's being outlawed all over the country. Uh, so in 1890, at the Auburn prison in New York, William Kemmler was electrocuted for murdering his lover with an axe. He, he murdered his lover with an axe, he was sentenced to death, and he was electrocuted. Uh, electrocution had been suggested nine years earlier by uh, Albert Southwick. I don't know if it's Southwick or Southwick. Uh, Albert Southwick, I'll just say that, who was a dentist. And you know, dentists are so, uh, they're so sadistic. They clearly like means of torturing people. So anyway, he, he proposed the electric chair because he one time saw an elderly drunkard uh, painlessly killed because he touched an electrical generator up in Buffalo. That's how he saw it. He said, oh, this would be a good way to kill people. Hanging was a little less humane. Uh, with people who were hanged, when they hanged the criminals, they would, their necks would break, but they could hang there for half an hour before they were totally asphyxiated. That's not good. So they said, okay, we're going to zap these guys full of electricity. This will be humane. This is the better way. This is the, the so society has advanced here. 
Kemmler was strapped in. They sent 700 volts of electricity to him for 17 seconds, and then the current failed. So they, they only sort of brazed him. They didn't really cook him. They didn't fully, they just brazed him. And uh, so he had, I mean, he was charred all over. People could smell burnt clothing, but he was still alive. And uh, then a little bit later, they sent another charge over 1,000 volts. They let it go for two minutes until his head was smoking. Then they realized he was gone. Uh, this might sound a little gruesome. Uh, Southwick said, the guy who advocated the electric chair, he said, we live in a higher civilization from this day on. And a lot of people looked at it that way. They said, oh, good. We've, we just cooked that guy while he was still alive and he was charred but not dead. We burned a hole right to his spinal column and we had smoke coming out of his head. We live in a higher civilization from this day on. People can confuse themselves on moral issues, particularly issues of life and death, particularly when they're political. Uh, George Westinghouse, a contemporary who was an innovator of the use of electricity at that time, he had a different take on it. He said, quote, they would have done better with an ax. And they would have done better with an ax. He would have suffered less with an ax. They would have done better. Just simple, simple execution. Uh, it had served people well for a long time. One wonders if this is not the case when it comes to the death penalty. Uh, it's very, it seems so morally clear not to use the death penalty to people who have shallow thinking. It seems so morally clear that it's awful. You know, the church, the Catholic church, despite this change recently, taught for 2,000 years that the death penalty is not intrinsically evil. St. Augustine wrote in defense of it. St. Thomas Aquinas wrote in defense of it. Uh, uh, St. Paul writes in defense of it. And uh, there seems to be a change now. Uh, perhaps the better question is to ask what changed? Why do, we, why do we suddenly think that this thing is intrinsically immoral, that this thing is evil? Uh, it, I think it says a lot more about our culture and our decadent culture and our moral myopia that we can frequently have. And f nobody can attest to that better than the burnt crisp chars of William Kembler on this day in history in 1890. On that grisly, gruesome, disgusting final note, I got to say goodbye to you. Come back tomorrow. <laughs> How's that for a pitch? <laughs> Come back tomorrow. Make sure you get your mailbag questions in and tune into Another Kingdom for a season. Binge that baby because we're about to release the second season, me and Andrew Clavin. It's going to be a lot of fun. Tune in then. In the meantime, I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. I'll see you tomorrow. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Senia Villarreal. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer, Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Jim Nickel. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire Forward Publishing production. Copyright Forward Publishing 2018.